The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Held in Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities. Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to Wall Street to Main Street. Tom Hamilton here, uh, president of Hamilton Wealth Management in Pittsburgh, New York. Of course, host of Wall Street to Main Street every Friday uh, here on WYSL. Uh, and with their boosted power, you can hear me damn near all over New York State, but mostly upstate New York is where our show goes out to. So thanks to Bob D'Angelo back at the WYSL headquarters for producing the show and uh, keeping me keeping me on pace and keeping me to the breaks and that kind of thing, doing the show remote from my office. thought I was going to have a guest today. I don't know if there was a, a, a mix-up or a, some scheduling screw-up, but anyhow, uh, don't have one, so i got to kind of wing it. But I, I prepped some stuff, had some time to prep a little bit. So a couple of things. Uh, for, first thing is... I was driving around the other day and listening to the radio. Uh, forget what station I was on. Usually, usually I only listen to WYSL, of course, but uh, I was flipping stations during a commercial or whatever. And th- there was a another financial talk show on uh, here that's here in Rochester. They, they, they might be a Buffalo company, but they, they're on a major station in Rochester, and they do a very political, conservative uh, radio show, and they mix finances in with it. And I, again, I, I know it's always bad form in business to criticize your competitors, but I, I want to just caution uh, people who listen to talk radio or uh, talk TV or whatever, you know, news TV, whatever sources you get information from, you tend to get. Uh, you, you tend to get in an echo chamber of ideas and thoughts. And I'll tell you what, what riles me about what some companies are doing with uh, either conservative or liberal advertising or shows. They play to people's political sympathies and try to, w- without making any real business case for why you should do business with them other than you agree with their politics. They try to make that the linchpin in doing business with them. And when I happen to tune into this show, and I and I got lots of examples. You, you know, all the people hawking, uh, the world's coming to an end, so buy gold. You, you got Governor Huckabee doing gold commercials. You know, these all always seem to be high-commissioned uh, type products that they're pitching. Uh, now, you know, does, does Governor Huckabee in his gold commercial tell you what percentage of his money is in whatever gold coins he's pitching uh, in the ads. I mean, that is, that's pathetically lame for him. Uh, and I, I think it's – so anyhow, back to my other topic or, or what I was talking about. The show was talking about the national debt. And we talk about the national debt all the time on the show. And I, I like to think that when I talk about the national debt, which is over $34 trillion now, 
I bring it back to us as potential investors and, and what we're doing at my firm, what it means for real, not a scare tactic, but for real for investors, right, for investors, that the U.S. is going to continue to issue huge amounts of debt, which are treasury bills, how that might affect interest rates, how it might affect growth rates. But this show, the, the host just said, you know, it only ends one way with bankruptcy. So no explanation of how that will affect you. You know, I don't know if they're insinuating you shouldn't own treasuries because they're going to go bankrupt. But that's, to me, saying something like that is just intellectually lazy. What, what does the U.S. going bankrupt, what does that even mean, right? Bankruptcy is a thing. It's, it's a thing. Can the U.S. go bankrupt? If the U.S. is able always to issue more debt, which we are, I, I don't even think there is such a thing as going bankrupt. You could talk about how you expect that's going to devalue the dollar, and then you'll have to compare it to other options and other currencies, which, again, none of this was followed up on, on this particular show uh, that, that I was listening to. It, it was just basically a scare tactic to make people afraid of the world, of investing, of markets. And I just kind of find that inappropriate, uh, especially for people that are at least tangentially in my industry. Now, we act as a fiduciary advisory firm. I don't know. I'm not even saying what company this was. I don't know how they're registered. Probably uh, both that and commissioned would be my guess. Uh, but, but, I, but the reason I bring it up is, you know, I'm on a conservative talk radio station. I listen sometimes to conservative talk radio. When I'm in the car, you got to listen to something. Uh, and I sometimes listen, watch on TV other uh, points of view. But that doesn't, that's not what I'm, you know, I'm not saying you should, only, you should listen to all different types of uh, politics. I'm saying politics aren't investing, right? Politics aren't investing. And, you know, everybody who didn't invest when Clinton was president, when, when Obama was president, and now when, uh, Biden's president, because you're conservative and you think re- uh, a Democrat in the office means the, the, the financial world's coming to an end, they lost out on great opportunity. And conversely, everybody from the liberal side who said, uh, you know, Reagan, Bush, Bush, uh, Trump, we're going to ruin the, the world. So they didn't invest. They lost out on opportunity. And my point is, it, politics aren't investing. Now, do do the uh, you know what transpires in Washington and do politics? Well, maybe not politics, but do uh, the, does the implement implementation of actual policy have some effect on investment markets? Of course it does. Of course it does. But there's you know there's hundreds to thousands of different types of markets, right? Real estate, stocks, bonds, large cap, small cap, loans. Right, private private credit. There's gold. There's silver. There's bull. There's other precious metals. There's other commodities. There's futures. There's options. Again, I'm not saying any of these things are bad or good. I'm just saying that there's lots of different ways to invest, and depending on how you expect markets to move, not on how your politics are, right? Not on how your politics are. As an example. Uh, having a Democrat 
in the White House and, and at least controlling one branch of Congress, it has had an influence on, like, the energy markets, right? But the truth is, natural gas right now is about as cheap as I can remember. It's dirt cheap. Now, part of that's because Biden put the kibosh on exporting what could be a great export for the United States, uh, which is liquefied natural gas. But my point is, my, my point is that uh, you could have thought that because, you know, we have a Democrat in the White House and uh, you, have, you have a Democrat in the White House and you, you expected more restrictive policy on drilling and gas production, which we've had, that the cost of natural gas would go through the roof. Well, it did for a while. But guess what? That's not the case now. The world had kind of a mild winter so far, and the price is not high, right? So so another caution about, you know, letting the, the, the stations you listen to influence your beliefs on investing and scare you specifically. And again, I, there's there's gold commercials on all sorts of television stations and radio stations. And I'm not saying whether gold is a good investment for you or not, okay? I would never do that over over the airwaves without knowing your situation and what, and what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish. What I am telling you is at least every such commercial I've ever seen was a lame pitch for a high-commissioned way-to-own gold, okay? A high-commissioned product. And, of course, if gold was that great, why would they be selling you their gold? Think about that, right? It's very different than stocks or bonds where they're traded in the market. If somebody's selling you gold coins, they got to be getting them from something. Really, all they're doing is they're a broker for them. So, so what, what, what's the moral of the story? Uh, the, the moral of the story is the only reason in the investing world to think about politics, but really more important than politics is policy, and, and uh, glean some information off of that for your investments is if you play it out into how you expect that to act in the markets. Just just, just to say the markets are going to go to hell because, uh, you, you know, the person running things, I, I think, or, or, or my politics say is incompetent and an idiot. Well, the truth is that means there's opportunity somewhere to in, invest according to that philosophy. But again, over many, many, many decades, people who let their politics, you know, when the other side was running things, they, uh, you know, hid, hid, their, hid their investments and their money in a can in the backyard and were afraid of the world and the markets. History has shown that that is a foolish thing to do. Uh, again, there are specific problems that have to do with let for example a 34 trillion dollar national debt that is, that is a problem there are specific problems that have to do with if you look at some of the Europe, european western europe european countries a bunch of them have moved more towards a socialistic form of economy okay so the, these these things i'm not saying these things aren't happening and i'm not saying that these things couldn't be a, a, an issue economically. What I am saying is they don't necessarily mean you have to buy some uh, high commissioned, uh, quote unquote, safe product that 
may or may not even be an investment. So anyhow, th- that's my uh, that's my speech for the day. So Bobby D, let's take a break. Uh, when I come back, as a matter of fact, the other thing I was going to talk about, it, it, at least in our industry, how I think people, clients, uh, investors, people retiring, how should you go about picking somebody to help you if you if you want somebody to help you manage your investments or your retirement planning? What is a good way to go about doing it? And, and I got seven questions that I think people should ask. Uh, you don't have to memorize them, but I'm going to talk about them. They're right on my website, HamiltonWealthManagement.com. But anyhow, when we come back, we're going to go over my report, the seven critical questions to ask before hiring a financial advisor. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street. We'll be right back. This is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Bob D'Angelo playing the bump music a little long because I had some microphone problems here. Don't really know what happened. But anyhow, I don't know how any of this stuff works. I just get on the, the radio and talk a little bit. All right, so so we were talking about uh, you know people that I think are doing a disservice to potential investors and, and clients in our industry by using scare tactics to uh, pitch a product or pitch whatever they have for sale, often at high commissions. Uh, years ago, I wrote a report that's still available on our website, and it's still pertinent today, and it's called The Seven Critical Questions Before Hiring a Financial Advisor. And I'm going to go over that here on the show. Uh, but you can also get a copy of that report at my website. No, no charge. You don't, I don't even think you have to give us an email or anything. You just go to HamiltonWealthManagement.com. And uh, you, you can download it. If you email us and ask for a, a physical copy, we'll send you a, a printed copy of the report. And I, I believe that most people uh, working working with a financial advisor don't ask the right questions, right? So so they understand what they're getting for the money they pay. And I, I think when we when we talk to a new prospective client, whether they ask us these questions or not. We tell them that we answer them anyhow. Like in our discussion with them, these are the things we explain. Now, does that mean you can only work with Hamilton Wealth Management? No, there's lots of good financial advisory firms. I I think there's specific things to watch out for. And depending on what your needs are, different types of advisors might be a better fit. Uh, You know, we tend to work with people that are uh, approaching retirement or into retirement. Uh, we have some younger clients. You know, we have some clients that, that are that have been with us for 26 years, and you know, a couple are in their 90s now. So th- that we have some range of, of ages. But again, I, my firm used to be called Hamilton Retirement Group, 
Now we're Hamilton Wealth Management. We, we work with that type of client a lot. Uh, but anyhow, I, I think if, you're, if you have a financial advisor or are looking for one, the report I have on seven questions to ask is a great place to start. So the first one is, first question one, do they have a legal obligation to put your best interest first? Are they an investment advisor representative or a broker? Okay. There's two registrations in the financial advisor world that are distinct and specific. This isn't, this is objective, not subjective. If somebody can't answer whether they're acting as a, in an advisory capacity, which is a fiduciary responsibility to put your interest first, or as a broker, which is a commissioned uh, sales position where, where they're selling you a product, uh, if they can't tell you which they are, go somewhere else in, in that instance. Because, like I said, it's not subjective. They're, they're regu- one's regulated by the SEC. The other is under FINRA. And, like, we're dual registered. We can act both ways. And we always tell the clients, the, the vast, vast majority of business we do is advisory business. We're, 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 we're under the SEC. It's a, uh, we act as an investment advisor representative through an RIA. And we have a fiduciary, usually that's done for a percent fee or for some set fee. Not You don't get paid more for selling products, this or that. <clears throat> but we also maintain our broker license because some clients have old variable annuities, old mutual fund accounts that they want us to be the advisor on. And if we don't have that brokerage license, we can't do that. So one of these days, we'll probably drop that part because we don't do any new business uh, in that end of it. But anyhow, it's two different standards that you're held to. And if somebody isn't willing to answer, leave. Because like I said, that's not subjective. That, that's not me saying one's better than the other. They are two different things, and they are two different registrations. And again, somebody might be one or the other or both. And for whatever you're talking about, whatever kind of business you're planning on doing with them or they're recommending, they're acting in one capacity or the other as an advisor. So, so let, let me hang on this one for a while because it, it, it's one of those things that, that puts a little burr under my saddle, uh, although I don't, I don't ride horses. But anyhow, the, the whole idea of a financial advisor, I wish that they would clean up the terms in our industry so that the public knew what they were dealing with, right? Knew what they were dealing with. As an example, as an example, if you go to a Chevrolet dealership to per- and, you're, and the person comes out, the salesperson comes out to talk to you about buying a car, you're under no illusion that that person is a car advisor and they're going to understand your needs and then recommend the best vehicle of any make or any type for your situation. You know that's a sales role. And I think although we criticize you know, the used car salesman, I think the used car salesman or the new car salesman is a far more honest profession than the broker salesman of products in our industry uh, that pretends like they're a an impartial advisor. Even though they can call themselves, unfortunately, a financial advisor, 
they may work for an insurance company, their job, they're paid by that insurance company to sell that insurance company's product. And again, there's nothing wrong with an insurance agent selling their insurance company's products, okay? What bothers me is that with the relationship you have when you go to a car dealership, you understand. It doesn't have to be an adversarial relationship, right? But you understand that that person's job, and some do a better job of understanding your needs and and doing that job than others, like every industry, but their job is to sell you a product of theirs, right, of theirs. So they may be really good at their job and listen to all your needs and your family and what kind of trips you take and, you know, how do you like to drive and that. And they may sell you the best Chevrolet for your needs that that dealership has, right? And they may put you in the best financing they can get. But nobody is under an illusion that they're a uh, automobile purchase advisor uh, impartial to what you buy in the end, whether it's a Ford, a Chevy, a Toyota, a lease, a, a buy, a, a, a whatever. So in the advisor world, there are advisors who are acting as a impartial advisor. So when we act as an advise, in an advisory capacity, our accounts that we hold at, at Schwab, we don't get paid more commission based on what we what you buy, what investments you own, okay? We get paid a fee, and then our job is to manage those portfolios to the best of our ability in your best interest because, again, we don't get paid more based on what products are purchased by you. On the other hand, if if it's maybe an insurance agent or an uh, investment broker, they do get paid a commission based on the product they sell you. So my point is, and I'm making a long point because this is critically important. There are different roles, and I, I wish our industry required it. But you can you can get around that uh, confusion by just asking, are they acting as an advisor uh, with a fiduciary responsibility or as a broker in the relationship they have with you? And again, if they don't say, if they don't answer it, that then go somewhere else because that's objective, not subjective. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. We'll be right back. Thursday, I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. Monday, you can fall apart. Tuesday, Wednesday, break my heart. Oh, Thursday, doesn't even start. It's Friday, You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. Well, it's a beautiful Friday afternoon here in upstate New York. We've had quite a few uh, nice winter days, very, very out of the ordinary the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I think it's uh, holding in tomorrow, but then heating up again next week. Now, it's not great for the skiers. My my boys are all skiers. Uh, they're hoping for a little snow, and they may have to go to, like, Vermont to get some skiing in this year. But... Uh, for the rest of us, you know, it gets you through the dark days of winter. And, you know, it's 430. It's still the sun's still uh, decently up in the sky. It's not going to be dark for another, what, 45, 50 minutes. So we're getting there. We're getting there. The, the, the winters aren't aren't sometimes aren't that easy to get through up here. But, uh, you know, you take the nice days. I do think that there's something to be said about 
mixing nice days in with not so nice days. You just appreciate, like, like if you were in Florida and it was 52 degrees and, and partly sunny, you're not getting all excited about that, right? You don't feel happy and good about that. You, you may be ticked off about it if you're down there on vacation, right? But here, here that gives you a happy day next in, an extra happy day. All right, I was talking about uh, questions you should ask your advisor or at least learn the answers to. Uh, the first one was, do they put your interests first? Are they acting as an advisor or a broker? And then the second one is, do they have dis industry disciplinary actions? And again, this isn't, uh, this isn't subjective, it's objective. You don't even have to ask them. You go, go to something called BrokerCheck, B-R-O-K-E-R-C-H-E-C-K.com, I think. Uh, that's FINRA's website. That If you put in the broker's name and uh, zip code or whatever, you can find if there's a, a history of client complaints and, and uh, FINRA findings against that particular advisor. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. One of the things I've noticed is every time I see a financial scam uh, reported in the news or wherever I find it, then I look that person up. And there are a few here locally in, in the Rochester area that we've talked about on the show in past years. I look that person up on FINRA Broker Check, and lo and behold, there's a laundry list of client complaints and inappropriate products and high-pressure sales tactics. And if people had just done what I tell them, which is go to brokercheck.com, or for advisors, you go to the uh, SEC Advisor Info page, I think the two link together. So I think if you remember Broker Check, you, you can find it. Uh, people would have been saved a lot of heartbreak and lost money many times. That doesn't mean that that's the last word on somebody's honesty and integrity in the industry. But it does tell you if there are sustained complaints from clients about particular things. And if, the, if the, that advisor's had to pay restitution and how those have been adjudicated. So... Brokercheck.com save, could save you a lot of grief and pain and suffering. Oh, that one I'll skip. Okay, how does the advisor get paid, right? How do they get paid and what are their fees? And does their compensation vary depending on what products you buy or they sell you? So, again, it's back to the first one. Are they ask, acting as an advisor, a real advisor, an investment advisory representative, which is what I call a real advisor, or do they just have advisor in their name their title, their job title, and they're selling you products. How do they get paid? Do, so again, objective, not subjective. All our potential clients, anybody who walks in the door for, for a first meeting with our firm where we're, you know, we're learning about them, they're learning about us, and we're, we're seeing if there's a fit and whether we can help them with whatever their financial goals are, which is how we always do our first client meeting, they're handed our advisory fee schedule, period. Shows based on the number of dollars exactly what the fee rate would be. So, and we typically do it by a percent of the assets that we manage. And in those cases, it makes no, like we're, our job then is to invest that money in the best way possible for the client. We don't get paid a nickel more based on the products in whether it's ETFs or mutual funds or, or whatever, or, or money market funds or cash, whatever we invest the client's money in those portfolios, we get paid the same. We don't get paid a commission. Let's put it that way. Now, if we're charging a percent, if the client's account goes up 
over time, we get paid more. If it goes down over time, we get paid a little bit less. But my point is, we, we have no incentive to sell particular products because we don't get paid by the products, we get paid by the client. As opposed to, as opposed to uh, typically when you sell something like an annuity or a mutual fund, uh, you know, direct to the mutual fund in a, in a broker relationship, you are paid a commission. And one thing, I get, I get emails all the time from product sales companies saying, you know, instead of saying how great the product is for their clients, they always lead in the emails with, ah, amazing 8.5% commission annuity you can sell your clients. Right where I get, they don't get the eight point five. <laughs> they wish I get the eight point five. The, the, the broker does. Well, I delete those immediately because that's not what I consider in the best interest of the client. But I, again, uh, in in the rare case that an annuity is appropriate for a client, which there are some cases where it's true, I won't even say rare. In the cases, let me restate that: in the cases where that type of product is a good fit, or in the case of life insurance. Uh, which is generally only sold by commission, uh, we'll just tell the client exactly how that's different from our advisory business and exactly what the commission would be and what their options are. So how do they get paid and what is the, the, the advisory fee or commission? All right, let's see. What are the other questions that I have? There's, a, there's seven of them, but I'm, uh, I'm hitting the highlights. Oh, the other one is what is their experience and educational background? All right. So you can, you just about anybody or maybe anybody who is licensed through an insurance company, a brokerage firm, an advisory firm, they can put, hold themselves out as, as a financial advisor. That's fine. That's fine. But I, I think you want to know what their real experience is in, in their educational background. And, uh, you, you know, experience, you, you can get a lot of experience in 10 years in the business, I guess. You know, I've got 27 years in the business. Uh, Lisa, my, my my administrative assistant, who does a great job for the client, she's got 20, 20 I think, years in the business uh, as a financial advisor. Uh, and I think people, I, I think there is something to be said for experience in any industry, right? Uh, I, I mean, I was around in the late 1990s when the, the dot-com bubble blew up, I, I, you know, I had clients. I, I had clients who I had to tell them what's happening in the markets when the NASDAQ went down 80% and the S&P 500 went down 50%. And believe me, believe me, that leaves a mark on you as a professional. If you really care about your clients, that's a learning experience. Same with 2008 and 2009 with, with, with the financial collapse. Same with, you know, uh, I remember 9-11. When the world was coming to an end, right, and the markets were tanking. Holy crap. I mean, that is scary stuff that you live through, and experience teaches you a lot. Uh, whereas Ryan in our office has about two and a half years, maybe three experience. Uh, he's working with me to get that experience, and he's a great communicator and worked with work, you know, person for working with clients and working with Lisa and I. Uh, but, you know, he's working with us, not handling clients' millions of dollars accounts, right, with that little bit of experience. So you have to gain experience in any industry. But I think it's always good if there's somebody else working with your portfolio that has a lot more experience. And then the other thing is educational background. And 
what I, I mean, like, like I have accredited asset management specialist certification from the College of Financial Planning. Ryan is studying for a CFP right now, certified financial planner. Uh, a lot of advisors have different designations. But in addition to that, in addition to that, I think you should look at what their degree is in, right? What is their, where did they go to school and what's their degree in? Does that mean you can only work with a uh, finance major who, who had a 4.0 at MIT? You know, is that the only advisor that's qualified? No. But, like, for example, I believe, I have an engineering degree from uh, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, okay? Uh, is engineering investing? No. They're, they're, they're two different uh, disciplines. However, however, I believe that my uh, education in engineering and my general organized and analytical thought nature and problem-solving nature, which is what you are taught in engineering, I think that has a great influence on how I invest. Uh, you know, as, as opposed to somebody who maybe has a marketing business degree. Again, I'm not denigrating marketing degrees. You could be a great advisor with a marketing degree, but but you know, I, I think depending on your personality as a client, right? Do do you want somebody? who has demonstrated the, an ability to, to be good at math and science and analytical thinking. I don't know. That, that's kind of your call, but I think it helps a lot or, or somebody who has a investment management background or whatever. So you, you want to know somebody's experience in the industry, number one, then their educational background is a good thing to put on top of that. But again, I, I still think the most important thing in hiring an advisor is that they're upfront and honest with you about what their role is and how they get paid. And this is, this is my last thing on the subject of picking a financial advisor. And I recommend this. I don't care if it's a contractor, uh, you, you know, a, a doctor. I don't care what, who you're interviewing to select for whatever part of your professional, a CPA, an attorney. He, here's the deal. If anybody ever is like makes you feel uncomfortable for having asked them something, like they're beneath answering that, I think that's all the information you need. Like when somebody comes in to meet with us, they can ask us anything they want about how we do business, how we get paid, you know, uh, what our succession plan is, what happens if something happens to me. Where's their money held? You know, our money's held primarily at Charles Schwab, one of the many great custodians to hold funds. I think that's an important thing, right? You don't want your money held at Joe Schmo's brokerage firm, I don't think. But my point is, if somebody's reluctant to answer or uh, beats around the bush rather than just give a direct answer, having anything to do with questions you have uh, about how your relationship with them would, would progress— just don't do business with them. I, I don't know how else to say it. You should never feel uncomfortable asking a fi your financial advisor any questions you have about either your accounts or your investments or your financial plan, but equally so about their business. Like, I'm proud of, of the business I've built at our firm. I love it. We, we give the information, whether they ask or not, for things like fees and you know, how doing business with us is and, and the types of services we provide 
and how often we contact and review. Like we're in the midst of uh, our heavy spring season, winter, spring for client reviews, doing a couple, two, three, four a day with our clients, right? Most clients we uh, have a formal review with between one and three times a year, depending on their needs. And then they can call anytime and we'll reach out to them if there's something that needs attention in between those times. But you, you should ask these things. And, and again, almost more important than their answer is their attitude towards uh, answering questions. Like, like I know advisors that, that, that if somebody asks them, how do you get paid? Uh, they, they act all upset and, you know, they, they put on a front like, how dare you ask that? Uh, they're just embarrassed of what the truth is about how their business is run. So, so going back to what I started the show off with these pitches that you hear on the radio, if you call one of these, uh, you know, gold IRA type advertisements or whatever, and again, just a disclaimer, I'm not saying whether those things are right or wrong for you, okay? I, what I am saying is ask them exactly what the commission is to purchase and or and then sell whatever investment they're pitching. Ask them exactly what the dollar amount is for a certain purchase or the percent is. And if they do anything but answer exactly and right away, move on, move on. You don't need, you don't need to, to deal with sketchy, dishonest people, okay? I, I've always said, like in our industry, when I'm looking, like if something happens to me, who do I want my wife Nancy to go and my my family who, who work who you know right now they work with me and my current clients? There's about there's lots of advisors in Rochester, hundreds, thousands. I don't know how many funny people call themselves financial advisors, and I don't know all of them, right? But out of the very many I know, there's about five or six that I would trust my family's money with if something happened to me. I would trust my clients to go to that those people. And, uh, but, but that isn't a whole lot. That doesn't mean everybody's bad in the industry. It's just a, there's a lot of people in our industry that are uh, very showy people. Let, let's put it that way. That they drive the big cars. They got the big boat. They got the big house on Canandaigua Lake, right? And they spend an awful lot of money that at one time was their client's money. I, I guess that's the way I, I'd put it. And they're you know, highfalutin fancy people that that maybe that's your cup of tea. Right. But often I find like when, when I'm at meetings with other advisors, there's about half the advisors are technically capable, maybe less than half. And I think that's about what you find in a lot of industries. Uh, and about half are uh, live, live a financially modest enough lifestyle that I wouldn't be nervous with them having my money because it's much easier to do the right thing for clients always when you're not dependent on that sale or that client coming on board for your mortgage payment or your next meal, right? So I, I always, that another thing I do if I were screening, like when I screen for who we'd recommend clients go to if something happens to us, uh, which I hope it doesn't, of course, but I look at how do they live their lifestyle and is there, you know, I, I can figure out based on how much assets they manage and whatever about what their income is. Are, are they living on the ragged edge or do they have a big cushion where they don't need, they're, they're never going to need, like next time the market goes down, they're not going to be uh, desperate for money, right? Desperate people do desperate things. 
So anyhow, that's my take on the industry. Uh, you know, ask the questions, folks. Ask how, how they get paid. Ask whether they, they, it's a commissioner advisory. Go to broker check and check on them. Uh, yeah, don't, don't entrust your money just because somebody has good hair and a, a deep voice on the radio, okay? I, I, I got mediocre to lousy hair, hair and my, my voice is running out here on the radio. So uh, don't let that be your guide. You're listening to Wall Street to Main Street with Tom Hamilton. Be right back. This is Wall Street to Main Street with your host, Tom Hamilton. Hey, welcome back to Wall Street to Main Street. I went too long that last segment, so we only have a few seconds here. Uh, I just wanted to say one one last thing. And oh, by the way, if anybody does want to get a hold of us, it's HamiltonWealthManagement.com. Uh, you know, I run commercials, so you hear, you, you hear the, uh, the website and the phone number. Um, I just want to say one thing that I touched on last week. I was going to do a whole segment on the New York state of business, but uh, I, I'm more and more upset and worried by what happened w- with our attorney general and Donald Trump, and not as a Trump defender or apologist. I, I really, uh, again, I don't really care about Donald Trump's business or Donald Trump himself. I think the guy's a jerk, but, uh, you know, and I kind of like some of his economic policies when he was president. We'll leave it at that. But but it is so chilling as a business owner, a small business owner in my case, not like Trump, but as a business owner, to have the power of the state attorney general's office out there available for political retribution. Okay? So if I say something on the show that, 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 that uh, you know, I support Trump and not Biden, or a Republican who runs for uh, the governorship or the attorney general job. Uh, remember, they don't have to go through the whole lawsuit and verdict and all that like they did with Trump. For most small businesses, just threatening legal action and uh, tying your time up with putting together uh, briefs and hiring an attorney and all that, just that alone can put you out of business. And there's already been a, a, a groundswell of uh, people in the business community, especially the real estate business community, coming out on Twitter or wherever else, on, on, on TV shows, on radio shows, saying that they will no longer pursue any real estate business in New York State because of this. And, and the last thing I'll say on that, if Trump does win, and one of the things I'm going to be listening for in debates when I, when I hear Trump interviewed, uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. That is a horrible way to think about this. There should be no political retribution, period, in the United States. And I find it so, uh, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. And again, what what happened with the prosecution of Trump on, on that goofy, he overinflated the value of, of his holdings, uh, that, that should scare every business owner, every taxpayer, uh, really everybody on either side of the political aisle. That is just not a way. You can't live long term and do business in a state that operates like that. You want to get a hold of us? It's HamiltonWealthManagement.com. 
Uh, you guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. The opinions voiced in Wall Street to Main Street are offered for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, or financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Advisory services offered through Wealth Plan Partners. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Wealth Plan Partners, Held in Wealth Management, and Securities America are separate entities.